Welcome to the Infertility Podcast. I'm Candace. And I'm Daniel. Grab a biscuit because we've got the tea on all things infertility. If you're enjoying the podcast, please give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. This helps others find our podcast and get even more information about coping with infertility. Also, if you'd like to stay up to date with our story, you can follow me on Instagram at Operation Baby Bump. Have a great topic for our podcast? Email us at thevanwades at gmail.com. Hey guys, welcome to episode three. Hello America and England <laughs> and Australia. You know what? We've got listeners in like Hawaii and what is I know, it they I know say? that's America. Don't. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm not the girl who's like, <laughs> if we had more maps, you know. <laughs> the, uh, the, the beauty America. queen, yeah. Um, what do they say? Aloha? Aloha? Is that what they say in Hawaii? Aloha. Aloha. Yeah. All right. Well, that was interesting. Uh, <laughs> that is your geography lesson for the day. If only no, we have more maps we in actually, school. <laughs> we actually have... Listeners in like China and Australia. G'day, mate. That's pretty cool, I think. What do you think of my Australian accent? It needs some work, yeah. I think. So. Whose birthday is it tomorrow? Oh, it's mine. Yay, happy yeah, birthday. Yeah. 39? No. I've, I For a while now, I've been thinking that I'm turning 35, but I'm actually turning 34. Oh, show good. off. Look at you. Yeah. It buys me some time before I actually have to turn 35, so that's good. It's at least a whole year. It was a good realization to have to be like, Ugh. wait, I'm not turning 35. I'm turning 34. Yeah. So that's good. 34. Do, doesn't that mean when you hit 35, you start to check a different box, a different box and like census and things like you're in the 35 and above. Bracket. Oh, is it? I think so. Yeah. Oh. I feel like I've changed. I've gone right from my previous box to a new checkbox. <laughs> like, because I'm 35. So. Yeah. You're so young. Yeah. So I'm pure. So young. Not really. So fresh and so clean. Old and crusty. Yeah, guys. Yeah. I've got a massage planned for tomorrow. What time? 12.45. Nice. And it's going to be great because... I'm long overdue for a massage. My body yeah, such is a in shambles. World problem. Oh, I know, I've got to get my massage. You know, in England, it. no one gets massages. We just rough it. I you don't know? care. We're like, oh no, dagger in the arm, pull it out, bit of bread, slap it on no, there. No, y'all are a bunch of hypochondriacs over there. No, yes, ma'am. you are. No, ma'am. Good night. Yes, you are. <laughs> um, I am the type that needs massage as part of my wellness routine just like chiropractic care just because i have jankety hips and they go out of line I also thanks have... a lot disney <laughs> yeah i blame disney um background but on have... that's because of the dresses the heavy dresses yeah nobody knows that oh for so we're just gonna move on from that right. um but i have sciatica and so the adjustments help a lot, but massage is also another key to just me feeling good physically. So 
it's it's been a need for quite a while, so I'm really excited about that. It's either that or cocaine, and <laughs> you chose correctly, right? Because <laughs> your cocaine habit is out of hand, right? Exactly. Way out of hand. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I'm so fed up of waking up in the morning, and you're there <laughs> eating your cornflakes, and you've just got a bunch of powder on your yeah. top lip. Yeah. It's embarrassing. I know. Anyways, back to real life. I am excited about my massage. And then Good. we have a doctor's appointment. And then we're going to my with favorite restaurant. Dr. Dre? Nope. Okay. No, not with Dr. Dre. He was busy. <laughs> we're seeing another doctor tomorrow. <laughs> so, it's going to be a good day tomorrow. Busy um, day. Busy day. By the time you listen to this, it will be yesterday we're talking about. Ooh, freaky. How weird. Time travel. How strange, yeah. We're just traveling in time, back and forth. Anyways, and if you're listening to this in a year, what took you so long? What took you so long? <laughs> Put a lot of effort into this. Anyway, I've received a lot of messages over the years, I would say, asking me, what do I do now? Like, I just had another failed transfer. What do I do now? And I'm no expert on this, certainly. But I have had three rounds of IVF, which I know is not as much as a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But from those three rounds, we've had five failed transfers. And I guess I've just been through a lot of the testing that we're going to talk about. So I think by having been through all of that stuff, I can kind of provide some sort of insight onto what these tests are like in a way. And what the procedures are like, too. Um, Because you can read about them, but, like, that's not real life most of the time. No, I guess it always gets very science-y when you read about a test. Yeah. You know, oh, we need to coagulate your grow-nose. And you're like, (laughs) I'm sorry, what? Your grow-nose? Yeah, no, no, it's way scientific. Oh, Lord. Anyways. So, in this episode, I wanted to switch things up a bit. We generally talk about things in this podcast that are geared towards the community that we're a part of. So women who have already been through the thick of things. I just crossed my legs and like brushed his leg. Stop it. And he like crossed his legs the other way. Like, how She's dare you touch Grinch me? She's got Grinch slippers on and she keeps rubbing the Grinch slippers on me. <laughs> Get gone. Get gone. Anyways, what I was saying was, is generally we're talking to the women who've already been through a lot of infertility crap, and we're talking about kind of things that are more relative to them, but today, at the beginning of this episode, I kind of want to talk to the noobs. The noobs. (laughs) The newbies to infertility, and just kind of give a rundown of, I guess, the intro to infertility. So when you find yourself going into the fertility clinic and they're kind of running all those preliminary tests, like, I didn't know what to expect when we started, you know, all of that testing. I just kind of was like, okay, I'll do what you say. But I didn't really kind of understand what things were until they were actually happening to me, I guess. It's like... um. At that stage, it's the one-size-fits-all testing, right? right? We're just gonna we're gonna try all these different tests, and you know, a vast majority of them could be useless. But let's just see what the results are. Right, exactly. 
preliminary testing for women. In my opinion, they don't do enough preliminary testing for women. I think they should offer a wider range of testing and just offer them. If there's something in your medical history that you think might be of interest to you, they should inform you of your options. There's different levels, right? We've been to two doctors. One doctor did what they called their standard amount of testing. Right. Whereas our second doctor did additional testing that our initial doctor wouldn't have even thought to do. Yes. Which one was successful? Right. The one who did the most testing, right? I'm just the type of person who likes more information. Like, I need all the information, which is why I'm a really bad storyteller, because I give people more information than they want. (laughs) No, do you know why you're a bad storyteller? Because you don't develop the story. Because I have anomia, and I can't think of words. (laughs) So, she'll come home from work, everyone, and she'll be like, oh my goodness, you've got to hear what happens today and then she'll start telling the story and then you'll see her looking into her brain with her eyes as if to say did that happen before or after this point so I'm like skip to the end yeah but I think that's an age thing that's, no you've been that... doing it for 10 years no no yeah. no yeah. I think I get that from my mom and your grammy and my grammy yeah because yeah. we just I like to give people all the details. So I'm like, okay, I was sitting at my desk and I had just eaten. So my container was off to my right. Yeah. And then... How how does that help me? I just like... Isn't this a story about losing your keys? Please continue. I just like a lot of information. Yeah. So when it comes to my health, I like more information than I probably need. I think people should have the, the option. option. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's also comes down to the fact that when you're starting this process, you're scared to ask for anything other than what's recommended. Well, and you don't know. Because you don't know. Right. But if you, you're also made sometimes to feel quite stupid, right? If you read something and it's been successful for someone else and you say, hey, I've heard about this, I'd like to do this. You're made to feel like, yeah, no, that's that's not what we do. That's not standard practice. Well, and you go in, so I think of the time we went in, we were virgins to the whole infertility game. And they say, okay, we're going to draw your blood. And... You're like, okay, cool. Like, this is standard practice. This is mm-hmm. what this is what you need to do in order for us to start IVF. Cool, awesome. You don't sit there and go, well, are you sure you're do, you know you're mm-hmm. running enough tests? Are yeah. you sure? You don't think about things like that, which is why we're here. Thank you for you. My point in wanting the option to have more testing done is that we shouldn't have spent over 60 grand in fertility treatments and medication that we didn't need if we would have had the option to do more testing at that time okay it's a shame I don't I don't want to keep harping on about the past and woe is us and oh all the money blah 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 but I hope and pray that someone out there learns from like our experience 100% 
And we can't go back and change things. Daniel and I have made peace with what's happened. Um, We are using our lives moving forward to help inform others, whether it's just in passing conversation, whether it's through this podcast, whether it's through my Instagram or our website, The Infertility. I just, you can't go back. So if someone out there hears this and goes, oh, I should probably, you know, I've got a history of X, Y, and Z. I better just ask for that particular test just to be sure. Like Mm -hmm. I just, because they'll ask you your medical history, but they asked me mine and they didn't do any other, they didn't think that endometriosis was an issue. Yeah. Yeah. So that's unfortunate. And just to say, yeah, we have let, those things go we've moved on from that but two things we should definitely put a negative review on yelp for <laughs> our old doctor's office and then the second yelp. thing uh do people still use that <laughs> i um, don't know if people use <laughs> yelp for fertility clinics that's more of like what restaurant should i eat tonight do you know what i don't know delicious um and then on july 16th we're gonna rob a bank uh to pay off yeah. the 60 grand how about that right I feel like screening for endometriosis is so obvious in the beginning and I'll, I'll get to how this is done later on when I get to the in-depth testing. Having a laparoscopy right off the bat is not ideal. At least offer people the option of, okay, endometriosis is a major cause of infertility, though most clinics do deny not, that yeah do not agree with that which is just shocking and appalling to me that that is like calling the earth flat it's it's so absurd yeah like, everyone knows I that's just, a trapezoid i just it's so absurd okay i'm gonna move on but when you say screening we found out you had endometriosis through a blood test right well it was a very complex blood panel yeah and there was an expert interpreting those results. Yeah. So that's unique. Yeah. And th- there is a, a better way to screen for endometriosis, which I'll talk about later on. But give people the option right off the bat. Because what if they don't even need IVF? Yeah. Well, that would be devastating to the clinic, wouldn't it? Because they wouldn't make all that money. You know what really um, gave me a clue that you had endometriosis was those commercials. You know, where the person's in the doctor's office and, yeah, you, you know, and they're saying, tell, tell her about the pain quickly. Yeah. And she's like, oh, it burns when I pee or uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and I've got hemorrhoids on my toes. And no. things, I don't know, something like that. Ay, but. Dios. No. Um, yes. But yes, that is, I think a lot of women have painful periods and that's probably their only symptom of endometriosis. And they just never think that no. that's endometriosis i said for so many years you've got endometriosis and you're like no it's worse than this it's worse than this i know and and the thing about it was is that my information came from what happened to elena my cousin yeah we have an episode on that season one from season one go check it out but what happened to elena she had endometriosis in stage four so it was so bad yeah And I guess I was comparing myself to that thinking, oh, well, you know, I, mine isn't that bad, but it's the spectrum, it's stages. So Mm -hmm. 
And, and there is silent endometriosis as well. So you could have no symptoms of it and yeah. have it. But let's move on. Yes, yes. I could talk about endo for ages. I could too. And don't worry. If you too could talk about endo for ages, we will be doing a follow-up endometriosis episode. We are? This season. Cool. Yeah. You're not invited. I'm not in it. <laughs> but I just said I could talk about it for ages. Uh. Yeah, um, so Elena, I'm teaming up with my cousin Elena again, and we're going to talk about it. If it wasn't you, I'd have married her. Oh! What? All right, so let's talk about some of the basic female fertility testing. So when you go in, you're like, I can't get pregnant, blah, blah, blah. They're going to do... (laughs) That's exactly how it goes. (laughs) That's what I said. I can't get pregnant. Can't get blah, pregnant. blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Fill in the blank stock. <laughs> they will do a karyotype, usually. Um, this is a genetic test they do through blood work. It can identify genetic abnormalities that may be of concern and also whether or not you're at risk for having children with genetic abnormalities. Um, they'll also test your hormone levels via blood work. Um, So your LH, uh, your luteinizing hormone, your estrogen, progesterone, prolactin, your AMH, which is your ovarian reserve, um, the androgens, testosterone, etc. They will probably do a physical exam, so make sure you landscape that day. (laughs) (laughs) Because let me tell you something, you do not want to roll up in there. Looking like Chewbacca down there. Yeah, or okay. like you're sitting on Tina Turner's shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> you're so stupid. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. I caramba. Yeah. yeah, so they're probably going to feel your boobs, you know, fill you up a little bit. Yeah, at least buy me dinner. <laughs> probably do a pelvic exam and potentially an ultrasound most likely because they're going to want to see guana 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 (laughs) guana they're going to want to see your uterus your ovaries your lining and they usually do this type of exam and the blood work on a specific day of your cycle another thing they'll probably do in addition to the pelvic exam and the ultrasound, is they'll probably do an HSG, which is a hysterosalpingogram, that can see if your fallopian tubes are open and clear. Now, that's usually the primary focus of this test, but it can also look at the shape and the condition of your uterus. In this procedure, they'll insert a catheter through the uterus, and they'll blow saline in there, through the uterus, through the fallopian tubes, and if it goes through the tubes and out out the tubes, then you're clear. Is there someone on the end of it literally blowing saline? <laughs> no, but they can see what's going on because it'll be, you have like an x-ray machine above your belly, so there's usually a couple of people in the room. When um, did we do that? The HSG? We did the this HCG, right? Is that what you HSG, yeah. We did this before we started actual IVF. Was that the painful one? It's a little uncomfortable. You've done this twice, right? I've done this twice. Twice. So it, you, 
will cramp a little bit. Yeah. Um, it doesn't hurt really bad, but it's just, you'll be a little bit crampy. And this, I wasn't allowed in the room for this one, right. was I? That's right, because when you were getting this done, I was providing a sample. Is that right? No, you were not providing a sample. I drove myself to that appointment because I'm an independent woman. Okay, yeah, I, I remember. I don't yeah. remember. When I first had an HSG back in 2013, before we did our IUI, they just looked at my tubes. And at the time, I mean, I didn't know they weren't doing a completely thorough job because I didn't, I've never had, I had never had that procedure done before. Mm-hmm. So they just looked at my tubes. Well, when I had it again in 2017, before we started IVF, I remember him looking at my tubes first and then he was like, okay, can you tilt your hips? I want to look at your uterus. And I was like, oh, interesting. This didn't happen the first time. Right. So he looked at my uterus and then that's when he found the polyps. I remember. So sometimes the HSG can lead to a hysteroscopy. And the hysteroscopy is an actual surgery. They'll put you out into a delicious anesthesia nap, which is my favorite. What a nap. Man, I haven't had one of those, I guess, since January. They are fantastic. That was a great nap. Yeah. I've only ever. How many times have you been put under under, anesthesia? A lot. In the past. Twice in my whole life. In the past couple of years, I've had two hysteroscopies. I've had. Three egg retrievals, my laparoscopy. Yeah, but they don't put you under. You're awake. Four? The egg retrieval, right? No, you're not awake for that. Heck no. Guys, this is what I live with. He's been through three egg retrievals with me and he doesn't even remember that I was taking an anesthesia nap. I guess it's because I... Unbelievable. Yeah, I know. I think because I'm not in the room. I don't experience it. I just drive you home. Do you not remember me being wheeled to recovery and you have to sit there till I wake up? Oh, when the fire alarm went off. I remember that. That was my second hysteroscopy. That was... (laughs) (laughs) After my second hysteroscopy, I woke up in recovery and I was still very, very loopy. And the fire alarm went off. (laughs) And they like transferred me to a wheelchair and we're all wheeling, like they're wheeling me out of the building. And I was like, save the embryos. <laughs> Forget me, get the embryos. <laughs> uh, but it was actually just the people doing construction outside. They like blew smoke into the building. Wankers. Which anyway caused the fire alarm to go off. So in a hysteroscopy, back to us getting back on track. It, this is a surgery. So they're going to put you out. Um, they're going to go in through the vagina while you're asleep and I've actually heard that some clinics use a local anesthetic and people are awake for this which this is medieval torture to me Mm. and they'll do something to the uterus based on what the problem is for me it was polyps and my polyps were so bad and there were so many of them they were like on top of each other they had to just basically give me a DNC and scrape everything out um, as opposed to like clipping them off like they usually can do for polyps. Sometimes they'll remove scar tissue if that's the issue in there. But this is a really important procedure because 
as you know, our uterine lining is what the embryo will burrow into Mm -hmm. and grow from and live in for the next nine months. Nine months. So there's also a sonohistogram, and these are just basically an HSG that just combines saline injection and an ultrasound. So it's it's basically the same thing without an x-ray, and I've had one of those as well. So in addition to all these preliminary testings, they will ask you, you know, to fill out your paperwork. They'll ask for your family history. Not sure where my clinic Ask me that if they were just going to disregard it anyways. <laughs> Apparently uh, they did. They will ask you about your medical history, so surgery, miscarriages, etc., medications you're taking, if any. Also, any nasty habits you have, like smoking. Stop it. Or rollerblading. <laughs> or excessive drinking. They'll also ask when your last period was. And me being the freak that I am, I had offered them my extensive years <laughs> of history of cycle tracking. The annals of your I know. Fertility. I was like, uh, do you want to see my Glow app? Because I've been tracking my, you know, cycle for the past how many ever years. So I have a lot of information on when I usually ovulate. And they're like, nah. And I was like, Okay. This is kind of a lot of important things, but okay. So they didn't need that information. Now, as far as men are concerned, there are less things to test because, well, you guys just have a couple of dingleberries and a stick. Whoa. (laughs) A dingleberry means something different. Yeah, but I'm calling your beans dingleberries right now. uh, Me sausage and beans. Yeah. Me sausage and... Eggs. Yeah. Oh, I want breakfast now. (laughs) (laughs) Weird. That is a disturbing. uh, I never want breakfast, but now I thought I want a sausage sandwich. Okay. Um, Uh, So men are also going to go through the karyotyping. They are also part of the puzzle if they're going in with a lady to do IVF. They will do the blood work for testosterone levels, although they say that. 97% of infertility cases are not affected by hormones in men. So um, that's good, I guess. Semen analyses are pretty standard Mm -hmm. testing for men. They are going to look at your morphology, so the appearance. Is there a head? Is there a tail? They're going to look at count and motility, so how it moves. Mm -hmm. Is it fast? Um, does it go around in circles? Does it lift weights? Right. Do you I mean, even lift, bro? Does it dance? Yeah. What's, you know, Don't what know. sort of form does it have when it's right. doing a sperm push-up? Exactly. <laughs> a sperm push-up. They do not look for DNA fragmentation of the sperm in this basic testing. And I'll get to that later on. But that is not part of a preliminary semen analysis. To my knowledge. They may do a physical exam to see if there are any varicoceles. So these are abnormal veins in the testicles. They didn't do that to me. No. They didn't. They did not They did not give me a physical exam. Yeah. But sometimes they will. And I think one of the things about plumbing issues 
Mm, I would say like logistical issues. So things that are caused by varicoceles are like blockages. I think that a lot of those things are prior knowledge coming into IBF because you would know you have like a lot of pain because the varicoceles can cause a lot of pain in the testicles. Like sharp pain, I assume. Really? From what I've read. And these are things that would probably be prior knowledge as a product of your experience with intercourse. So if you cannot, you know, perform in a way, and if the sperm cannot get to where it needs to go, those are things that would be obvious to you. So they may not check for those things because I guess they assume that you would just tell them that... Those things happen. Oi, doctor, me things can't get to the other place. (laughs) They'll also perhaps test for anti-sperm antibodies. I don't think they did this with us for preliminary testing. I did, in fact, ask for this as we started to experience a lot of failures. And I did ask about the sperm DNA fragmentation. I asked for anti-sperm antibodies. And this is where men will actually produce antibodies against their sperm. So it'll attack the sperm as it's leaving. And it'll basically be neutralized. So when it gets to the egg, it does nothing. Like it just dies, (laughs) I guess. Rest in peace. Um, Again, like for females, the clinic will ask the male his medical history, his current medications, nasty habits, family history, etc. Now... That's all the preliminary testing they usually do. Things differ from clinic to clinic, of course. But in my research, this is typically across the board most of the testing that they do. Now, the detailed testing I'm about to talk about is done when you either have a transfer fail or... It's not even right after a failed transfer, but after a number of failed transfers. The first one I want to talk about is the ERA. Do you remember us doing that, Daniel? I do not. This test, oddly, was actually offered to us after our first failed transfer, only because I was asking for more testing. He mentioned the ERA and said he didn't really recommend it until after two failed transfers. And I said, well, can we go ahead and do it now? Because at that point, we had two embryos left. We had only had three to begin with. And by my calculations, I mean, I'm not good at math or anything. (laughs) But if we would have waited till two failed transfers, that means we're doing the test with one last shot at a baby. And to me, that was not good enough. So I was just willing to go ahead and get that test done now. And this test is suggested for women who have recurrent implantation failure. When high-quality embryos have been transferred, there is generally a reason why those precious, high-quality, normal embryos are not sticking. The ERA is an endometrial receptivity array. I've also heard it referred to as an assay or analysis, so all of the all of those terms are correct. This test identifies your receptive window 
for embryo implantation. So like Daniel said earlier, we did this test and we found out that I was pre-receptive. Which basically meant that we needed to give you an extra day before we transferred, right? Right. Extra day of progesterone. So the receptive window is generally cycle days 19 through 21, but 3 out of 10 women actually have what's called a displaced window of implantation. And that means that their window is either before that 19th day or after the 21st day. Uh, This window heavily relies on progesterone levels, which is why I had to do seven days of progesterone before my transfer instead of the six, which is their typical um, thing that they do for transfers. So what is this procedure? Well, I'll tell you. Thank you for asking. Many of you listening (laughs) might have already had this done. And if you have, you're probably crossing your legs and like clutching at your panties right now gross yeah it it's painful i'm not gonna lie and you are awake for it most likely and for the love of god please take 800 milligram of ibuprofen before you go in um so they're gonna insert a speculum into your vag they're gonna open it up open the cervix Then they're going to place a catheter through there, through the cervix, and up into the uterus. Now what this catheter does is they're going to scrape the side of your uterine lining, your uterine wall, and they're going to suck out a bit of tissue. Is that the noise it makes? Yeah, I think. You hear it go. I didn't hear anything because I was like squeezing the hand of the nurse. Like I could hear the sound of her bones breaking. Right. It is painful, but yeah. it only lasts for like five seconds. So don't worry. Deep and breath. also how I looked at it was I was thinking the whole time, labor's going to be worse than this. So I can do this. Fair. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> and if you look at it that way, if you look at everything that we women have to go through and you just think labor's going to be worse than this then you can just use all these things as practice. Like any pain in life now, you're just going to go, right. labor's going to be worse than right, this. Right, exactly. You stubbed your toe, labor's going to be worse right. than this. you just got to, it's all about cut. perspective. Yeah, labor's mm-hmm. worse than yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> A paper cut. Yeah. Paper cuts are painful. Yeah. Come on. So, in addition to the ERA, after failed transfers or failed pregnancies you can opt to do a miscarriage panel by the way do you know what this test is actually called daniel um the where'd you get to baby test um that's a good guess but it's actually called the recurrent miscarriage slash fetal demise profile well that's horrible that's worse than my joke a fetal demise could they not have thought of anything better than that? The, I don't like it. You know, the, so this test looks at indications of blood clotting disorders, autoimmune factors. It checks for evidence of lupus anticoagulants. And these are antibodies that attack healthy cells and healthy tissues instead of like fighting off disease. It also checks for mutations in the MTHFR gene. 
this can impair the body's ability to absorb folic acid, which is really important for pregnancy. So those are the key things that this panel tests for. This is a blood draw, simple blood draw, and the results are usually available in five to seven business days. I've actually had many friends on Instagram that had this panel done, and they learned some valuable information. Either they had this blood clotting disorder, or they had the MTHFR gene mutation. They were able to correct those things and go on to get pregnant. So whether they were put on blood thinners or a folate instead of folic acid, things like that, I believe, are corrective in helping those women get pregnant. Our doctor's office wouldn't do this, would they? Exactly. This is something I asked for multiple times. Multiple times. What was their rationale behind not doing it? They said they don't offer it anymore. But did they say why? They just said it wasn't a gold standard. And, And to me, what is a gold standard anyways? Well, if you go back to the 1980s U.S., um, the gold standard meant that for every dollar in circulation, oh, there was Lord. gold, physical gold, AU, to uh, match up with it. Mm-hmm. Gold standard in terms of um, medical, I don't know, wouldn't know. Yeah. I just think if your patient's asking for it, it's a simple blood draw. It's a lab order. So yeah. you can't even do that for your patient who's asking for it multiple times. And after five failed transfers with PGS normal embryos, this is like, this doesn't usually happen to people. So I don't know why they wouldn't do it for me. There's actually also a fetal tissue karyotyping option for women who have had a DNC after a miscarriage. And this checks for genetic abnormalities of the fetus. So this is probably something you may want to consider doing if you've had an early pregnancy loss and you didn't do any sort of genetic testing, maybe you got pregnant naturally. So this might be something of interest to do. Now let's get to one of the more exciting tests, which I alluded to in the beginning about endometriosis screening. And now I want to talk about it. Woo! It's called the Receptiva DX. Doesn't that sound like a contraption of sorts? No, it sounds like a band, like a punk band. <laughs> we are Receptiva DX. <laughs> so this is the first test of its kind. And I'm not talking about immunology testing. I'm talking about this is the first test of its kind to detect endometriosis without surgery. Awesome. This test looks for... BCL6. So that is B cells. And high levels of these proteins cause inflammation in the body. This is another endometrial biopsy. So like the ERA, they will scrape off a bit of your lining and send it off for testing. But the good thing about this one is that you can do this test if you suspect you have endometriosis with your OBGYN. So they can usually do this in your OB's office before you even get into fertility treatments. If you suspect that you may have it, I recommend doing this before you do anything else. Just because you, if you did have endometriosis and you got it resolved, you could probably get pregnant on your own 
and not have to go through fertility treatments. Now, that's not going to be the route for everyone, and that's not going to be true for everyone, but it is certainly a possibility. I would say that it is going to be helpful to more people than we realize. Right. Because endometriosis seems to be the link to unexplained infertility more often than not. Right. It's true. And and this this test actually says their tagline is helping women with unexplained infertility. Yeah. And so they're able to detect this quite well. And these results are able to be available to you within three to four business days. So that's pretty a pretty great turnaround. And when I asked my clinic if there was any way that they could screen or figure out if I had endometriosis other than having to have surgery, they told me no such test even existed. They're phonies. Well, that wasn't true because actually we live in Charleston, South Carolina. This test, the Receptiva DX, was actually developed in Greenville, South Carolina, which is a stone's throw. Not really a stone's throw. It's like three hours away. But it's in our state, Mm -hmm. okay? So you'd think that news about this would travel to local areas. Yeah. (laughs) And it has been around since 2017, so before I even asked for it. So it's not that it wasn't around when I asked for it. It was. They just didn't know about it. Well, they they choose to not believe that endometriosis has any impact on fertility. And that's probably... that's what it is. A huge factor, probably so. Yeah. So those are some pretty good tests that you could do when things are not going right. Another detailed test that you can have is the immunology testing. And we did discuss this in more depth in our first episode this season. So go have a listen to that if you haven't yet. But just to recap, this type of testing was the last resort for us, basically. Yeah. It encompasses a wide range of panels related to the immune system. So natural killer cells, blood clotting disorders, etc. And Daniel and I both had blood drawn. A lot of blood. I had a lot of blood drawn. You had a... I mean, you had a For lot. me, it was a lot. <laughs> it wasn't a lot compared to you, but... Like, yeah, you had about nine vials. I had about almost 30. I don't think it was even nine. I think I had... Yeah. Was it nine? I thought it was less than that. I think it was about nine. Um, and this testing, you know, for this, you'll have to go to a specialist in reproductive immunology, which can be quite costly. Also, it's not, I'm going to say, very convenient because there aren't a lot of reproductive immunologists. No. In the U.S.? On Earth, really. On Earth. And there's one less now. Um, rest Dr. in peace. Braverman, rest in peace. What a man. So this is some testing that if you are like us and you were at your wit's end and everything you had tried has failed and your clinic has basically said, we've helped you all we can. There's really nothing more we can do. You're just a quote, tough case, end quote. Ugh, that makes me so frustrated. Ugh, I just hate that. But this is going to be something you'll want to look into if, if all of that has is true for you. Another thing I want to talk about, and this is the last thing, is sperm DNA fragmentation analysis. Now, I alluded to this earlier and I kind of touched on it a bit, 
but those preliminary semen analyses are not looking for fragmentations in the DNA. So this is a simple sperm analysis. So a man will provide his sample and what they're going to do, they actually have three or four ways of actually looking at the DNA of the sperm and I won't bore you with the sciencey details, but they are basically looking at the integrity of the DNA of the sperm. So they're looking at the number of little nicks or breakages in the DNA. Oh, when I heard integrity, I thought like they they locked them in a room with a five pound note on the table <laughs> and then they left the room to, to see, see if, if they stole it. Yeah, the five pound. Yeah, that might be one of the ways. Uh, yeah, we don't know. We're not there, right? Right. We don't know what they do. They would have to shrink that five pound note down maybe really sperm small. Have, maybe sperm has its own currency. <laughs> Um, you know, like semen bucks or right. uh, sticky dollars. Okay. Anyway, I don't know. what I was saying was there are many factors that can lead to DNA fragmentation in the sperm. So oxidative stress, there's environmental factors like UV light, also cell phone radiation. So gentlemen, if you're putting your cell phone in your pocket next to your dingleberries... Stop calling them dingleberries. <laughs> Get it out of there. Yeah. And put it on your desk. Yeah. Put My, it in mine your back sits pocket. in my office on my desk on a charger all the yeah. time. Just sits there. Yeah. And stop putting your laptop on your DNBs, guys. Your Frankenbeans. Okay. Yeah. Stop that. It's so difficult not to do that. Not because... only does it like expose your DNBs to radiation, but it also heats them up. Which is another cause for it's like it could injure your sperm. No one likes hot DMBs, right? No, no, sweaty. Sweaty DMBs. And in this heat, goodness me, it'd be like a I stew hope. down there. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> so, sperm DNA fragmentation can be improved somewhat. I've heard of some cases where the DNA fragmentation was so bad that years of supplements and lifestyle change and things didn't really help it very much but I have heard to the contrary some really great things about you know lifestyle modification so if you're smoking stop just stop it's the year 2019 stop smoking come Gosh. on we've all done it right stop it when I was drunk in the club sometimes someone would give me a cigarette I'd puff that bad boy right <laughs> I'd puff Gosh. that bad boy We've all done it. No. Someone passes the douchey to the left-hand side. <laughs> we have a little toke-toke. We've all done it. But it is the year 2019, and if you're dead serious about kids... Stop it. Stop it. Stop it right now. You, you slap that cigarette or doobie out of their hand. Right. Also, diet changes are really key in sperm DNA fragmentation repair. Also, supplements that are high in antioxidants are mm -hmm. vital. Mm -hmm. So this issue can also be helped with reproductive assistance like IVF. There you go. That's pretty much all I wanted to cover in this episode. I didn't want to bore you with just a list of things. I kind of wanted to pull things that I knew the most about. And really, in my research, I'm not finding much more supplementary information as far as testing is concerned. So very surface level, isn't it? If you know of any tests that I did not cover today, please slide into my DMs. Nice. 
we did miss the um the testicles. Oh, that's a key test. Oh, oh my god, he went there, didn't he? Um, yeah, please slide into my DMs at Operation Baby Bump on Instagram and tell me because I love to learn and I love to have information filed away because I do often get questions from people and I don't know all the answers. I just know what I've been through and can really speak to those things. And so I hope that this helped you in some way. If you have any questions, let me know. Um, yeah, so I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. I know that was a lot. It was a lot, was a of, lot of talk about vaginas, uteruses, uteruses? Uteri? Uteri? Is that Is the plural? That plural. Uteri. Testicles and D's. D's. So we're going to wrap this up. Like, if you don't want a baby, you should always wrap it up. Exactly. But I'm sure that the people listening are not wrapping it up. Do if You are the wrong audience. Right. If but you are we are going to wrap it up. We are going to wrap this yeah, up. We're going to wrap this up right now. Thanks for listening, guys. I'm Candace. And I'm Daniel. Night. Night. Bye-bye. Thank you.